I don't know if you've had the experience of someone looking you in the eye and saying, no, you cannot do that. I had an experience several years ago. I took a team from uh, the Dayton area um, to go on a missions trip to Ocean City, New Jersey. And we had done all the arrangements to paint this historical church building that was in the heart of Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, we were so excited. We had to borrow ladders and scaffolding from the fire department. And it was going to be quite a challenge. And when we got there, we realized there wasn't a lot of things going on in Ocean City, New Jersey that week because it felt like we were a part of the parade route. Okay, And what I mean by that is there are people who went out of their way to just slowly drive by to see what was going on. I forgot to tell you that my team that were, were slated to paint this, this four-story building were 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds. Okay, uh, And so we had quite an army, um, but, but our army was going to be young. And, and when we got there, we went right at it. I mean, we dove in. We had four days to accomplish the task. And, and when we got there, we started scraping and prepping the building. You know, that's a lot of work. And part of the challenge is it's got to get worse before it gets better. And, and, and in that process, day one, we had multiple people who drove by, who parked their car, got out of the car and said, who's in charge? And thankfully, I mean, sadly, it was me, right? And, and so they find me and then they look at me and they say, you can't do this. What, what do you mean we can't do this? Well, well, well this is impossible. How, how long is this going to take? They went through, the, they didn't bring me cookies. Uh, they, they didn't bring Gatorade. You know, there was no water bottles. There was it. It was, you cannot do this. And, and, and in a way, I guess, if you, if you think about it, the statement that they said to me, just one man, uh, you know, it was 20 some years ago. So one young man um, standing in front of this, this challenge, there, there's a way that you could hear what they said and it'd be true. There's no way that I could do this in four days. Uh, but there's this, this, this concept that we're going to see in God's word together today. As we study his word together, somebody af- asked me after the first service, why is the church building upside down? That's weird. Uh, the, the reason the church building's upside down is we're in a series that we're calling the prodigal church. And, and I'll just remind you, the prodigal son, when he said to his father, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance while you're still living. He left the banqueting table of his father and he went to, to find himself dining at the slop of pigs and found himself, he just, he, he, he allowed himself to miss out on the blessing of God's provision. The upside down church is symbolic of what I'm afraid we might have the possibility of doing like they had done so many years ago in the church in Corinth, that they missed out on the blessing and abundance of what God wanted to do. Today, we're going to see one interesting word in the midst of a wonderful passage of scripture. And that word I actually learned a little bit more about when we lived in Dallas, Texas. And in English, we have this term, you, that um, can contain, especially in Greek, in the second person, it can be plural. And in Dallas, they taught us that word. It's y'all, right? Ewins sometimes, if you're really lucky. Some of you have used this before. So, so when that man or that woman looked across me, and there were multiple people in Ocean City, New Jersey that stood in front of me and said, you cannot do this. They were right and they were wrong. And the reason they were wrong is that y'all can do some pretty amazing things when you put your heart to it. That team, they were like ants 
they, they had been prepared. We actually did some training in Dayton, Ohio, preparing for the trip. We, we had individuals whose job it was to climb the ladder and to hold the ladder. We had paint people who were running around filling paint trays the whole time that we were there. There were hydration specialists that were there to make sure that we had, we had sunscreen specialists that were like everybody was in constant motion, but people knew what they were supposed to do. And at the end of the day, we accomplished the task early. And you know, it's great, classic, the same people who came up to me and said, you can't do this. They showed up on the last day and they asked if they could help. <laughs> Thanks. You know, now you should show up, right? You know, you know th this morning as we study God's word, we're going to see him describe in a very hopefully familiar passage of scripture, the body of Christ. We use that language and for some of you, you might be confused by it. Why do we call the church a body? What makes it an organism? What makes it something? And he, he's going to talk about it as a diverse group of parts that have been combined together to do something greater together than it could ever be individually. And as he describes this, he's going to talk about gifting again. Remember, we've been talking about God's gifting, that he's given every single person in this room supernatural, for those of us who know Christ personally, supernatural gifts intended to be used for the benefit of other people in this room. He, he's called us to experience his goodness by providing for us unity that comes from great diversity. And if you stick with me this morning, I think you're going to be encouraged because there is a lie from Satan. We're going to see it twice in the text, and I see it happen so often. And that is people walk into church often, and they find themselves saying that there is no place for me here. I, I, don't, I don't fit here. I don't belong in this place. And then we, we go on this, this journey to go find the place that, that fits. And, and what we're really saying is we're looking for a place that is surrounded by people who look just like us. And, and God's word's gonna challenge us today to say, actually, for this place to be what God's designed for it to be, it means that it's a mosaic of the body of Christ, meshed together in order to bring himself glory and honor. I need you. I, I am blessed when there's complexity in the body of Christ. And when we align together, y'all can do an awful lot for his kingdom. Do you believe that, church? And so as we turn our, our hearts and our minds to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 12, and we're going to personify, recognize, understand that together we can. The, the title of the message this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 is, is um, the joy of interdependence. I loved this quote that I was taught in Africa that says that, that you, the alone finger, cannot pick up the pea. Have you heard that before? The alone, you guys are like, what is he talking about? Okay, let's think about this. The alone finger cannot pick up the pea. But when you have two fingers, what you can do is you can work together and accomplish great things. Some of us are trying to do life alone right now. And the experience that we're having is leaving us discouraged and constantly shaking 
what is new. Interdependence, you need to think of interdependence like, like the Jenga game that some of us play. You know the, you know the one that I'm talking about, you know, where you, 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 they're all stacked up or, or like a brick wall where it's, when it's been constructed properly that they're load-bearing and they support other, th- and, and, and the Jenga game is funny because when we take those bits and pieces out, what happens, right? It's, it's structurally unsound, right? You're like, Sean, you're way overthinking Jenga games, but... You guys know what I'm talking about though, right? So, so the body of Christ is designed to be interdependent, that you and I were made to depend upon one another. And I, I want to clarify, my, my wife was really sweet when we talked about this. She's like, you got to clarify that we're not, when we say interdependent, because nobody uses that word, we're not talking about codependent, right? So some of you are like, Sean, my family is the poster child for codependency. You should have seen us on Thursday night, right? Some of you are saying that. Anyone want to confess that? Oh, put your hand up. Yeah. The codependent mindset is to say, I need you for my identity. That's not what we're talking about. Interdependent means that we've understood our diversity and we are allowing ourselves to support one another in the midst of that. Chuck Swindoll talks about unity in this way. He says, union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. That's not what God's called us to. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board without consideration. It's not what God's called us to. Unity, however is what he's called us to, and it refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on what matters most. Today, it's going to be described in the text as, as a baptism of the Spirit, that, that we call the same God Father, that we understand the work that he's done in and through our life, and in that process, we find ourselves desperately depending upon him And in that process, we find ourselves relying and depending upon one another. We're going to pick up in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please, please follow along with me as we study God's word together. He says, for just as the body is one. This the body is he's talking about your body. Will you think about your body for a second? Will you think about the last time that you stubbed your toe or the last time that you had a splinter? Um, the last time maybe that you went to the doctor and they mentioned a body part that you'd forgot that you even had. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, you got to check that? Really? That, that, that the body is designed by God to function and it functions beautifully when, it, when it's working. And, and when something happens, when we're reminded of the individual bits and pieces, at times, we remember, or we're forced to remember, how essential and important each of those bits and pieces are. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, you could say organs, or you could say body parts, aren't you glad that we're not all nose? <laughs> aren't you glad we're not all ears? We're not all brain? We're not all toes? Like We could play that game for a while, right? For all the members of the body, though many are one body, And then he says, so it is with Christ. And so when he says this with Christ, he understood that they understood that we call God's church his body. And and if you look around the room, it's great right now. Like that there's, there's different, there's different um, salaries that people in this room have. There's different genders and there are different age groups that are in the room, different, different ethnicity, different races are in this room. That's God's design. He is glorified when we're unified, not because of how we're alike, 
but actually we're unified because of the God that we serve. So it is with Christ. And so I want to remind you, church, this morning that unity amidst diversity allows you and I to experience spiritual maturity, that God's glorified in that process. I, I love the fact that I had the privilege of, in the Bahamas, of being a minority in a different community that had a different set of values, a different history, a different set of holidays. We laughed about that a couple weeks ago. That, in that process, one of the things that I was reminded of is God's glorified in the midst of other cultures. That God's lifted high around the world on a day like today. That there are people being baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that that I will never meet. But I have found, even as I've traveled, and some of you can relate to this, that, that I might sit on a plane next to a believer that has grown up in a completely different culture. And yet we can have a better conversation than I could maybe with one of my siblings if they didn't know the Lord. Do you understand that? Because we're brothers and sisters. So this is about unity amidst diversity. And in that process, we can experience the kind of spiritual maturity that God's designed for us. He says this in verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So this is a reference to what happened in Acts 2, Pentecost, when the church was born that, that we recognize that as believers that we experience the blessing of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's every believer that, that accepts Christ. For some people, they have chosen to avoid accepting Christ in their life because they recognize the past in their life. I had someone say this to me this week. I had the privilege of sitting down with them, we're talking about the gospel, and I'm like, why not now? This is a great time. And they expressed that God could not love someone like them. And then they went through the list of the things that they've done in their life, the disappointments, the people they've let down. And, and I'll just tell you, when I read these words from the Apostle Paul, I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was a bounty hunter seeking Christ followers around the world. He stood at Stephen's death and he applauded because he was fighting for the wrong team. He was in the wrong context. He misunderstood. He had blood in his ledger. He had consequences that were tragic for the sake of the church. And yet he understood grace. The person who says God couldn't love me doesn't understand grace because grace is not what we deserve, but it's what we don't deserve. Do you understand that? And so here, the person who receives this and understands this is the person who understands Christ gave me the privilege of being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, evidenced by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when Jesus said to the woman at the well, I have water for you that you can drink that will make you never thirst again, it's referenced in the text that it is the living water of Christ. It's these things that we share together as Christ followers that allow us to understand that being a Jew or a Greek in the text, a slave or a free person. Now, we, we glaze over this. This is in scripture a lot, these phrases, Jew or Greek, slave or free. Romans 10, 12, Galatians 3, 27, Colossians 3, 11. But, but think about those words. A slave versus a person who's free. A Jewish person who's grown up in a religious culture and a society or a Gentile that, that has had their own. He's, he's saying these phrases. He's just saying you could be as diverse as you could possibly be. And yet through Christ, those things pale in comparison to understanding God's all-inclusive love for you. He says, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all 
were made to drink of the one spirit. No one's better, no one's worse. This is all inclusive, his precious gift to us. Verse 14, for the body of Christ does not consist of one member, but of many. So uh, actually, he says for the body. So, so we recognize this about our own body. I love, I love this uh, that J. Vernon McGee said this. He says, our bodies are not all tongue. Uh, I have met a few people who seem to be all tongue. <laughs> Why are you looking at me, a couple of you? Our bodies are not all tongue. I have met a few people who seem to be all tongue, but they are thankfully the exception. Isn't that great? You know, we, what we recognize is that we have many bits and pieces that God has woven together to make our physical bodies. But what we recognize is what unifies us together isn't how we look, isn't um, the amount of money in our bank account, it is not even Brunswick or Medina County, the, the choices that we make as to where we live, or white collar or blue collar, how educated we are or we are not. I, I found this to be interesting. Leslie Flynn um, expressed this, uh, I think, a mindset that's fairly common. This is convicting for me. Um, that it's natural for us to say to people, believe as I believe, no more, no less than I am right now and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think as I think, eat as I eat and drink as I drink. Look as I look, do as I do. Then I will be willing to have fellowship with you. Isn't that, isn't that the mindset that some of us have? That we, we want conformity or we want consistency. We want unity, but to neglect the diversity that God's called for us. And Paul pushes against that. In verse 15, he says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's interesting. The foot and the hand, they have similar roles, different, different uh, motion, what they do. And yet, that there might be competition or misunderstanding or, uh, let, let's just keep this real. My mom and I are a lot alike, and I think that there were times growing up when she really wanted to kill me. Just being, hi mom. She, she's probably watching right now, right? It's funny, isn't it, that often it's the people who are similar to us, even people who share the same gifting, maybe the same level of leadership, or that, that, that sometimes they, they force us to be challenged. And, and I want to recognize that God's given us the, the complexity of his body because we need one another. And sometimes the hand and the foot, we, we misunderstand or misvalue what God's given us. He says that I would not make it any less, I'm sorry, if the, if the, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I love this. I just, I want to pause for this. You are, if you are a Christ follower, you are part of the body of Christ. That's whether you walk into a church or not. And for some of us right now, we, we're wrestling with, is it time for me to be a part of a body? Or is there value in me being part of a body? To be in burden-bearing fellowship, to enter into community, to serve. And I think part of what he's saying here, spiritually, you're a part of the body of Christ. But, but you, to realize the fullness of this, you need to engage in the body of Christ. So to say what Satan wants you to believe is that you do not belong to the body that myth is so destructive. I think it's so natural for us to walk into places where we, we step into a new church or a new setting and we feel like everybody in the room knows everybody. No one cares about us. Satan wants to just whisper in your ear, you don't fit here. 
that this isn't a place for you. There's no one who cares about you. That's his, his voice. He says this, this, this phrase is repeated twice here. He says that would not make a person. If you agreed with that lie, it doesn't make you any less a part of that body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We like to give hierarchy to calling and gifting and to experiences. And I just remind you, we talked about this last week, that, that God is okay with us re-gifting. Isn't that great? That God's okay. Like, in fact, the reason why he's given you the gifting that he has is not for your own benefit, to show us how spiritual you are, how wise you are, or for you to sell it and to... No, it's about building up the people who are around you. It's about establishing and investing in the body of Christ. So, so when, when he says, even if you don't recognize your gifting, if you don't experience it, if you believe I don't belong to the body, that in that process, you're still missing and misunderstanding the fact that, that God's given you a gift of gifting on purpose and for a purpose, and he expects for you to use it for the, the encouragement and blessing of others. This leads to the second point this morning. Don't worry, there's only two. Uh, let you off on good behavior today. So interdependence is a beautiful gift. I love that phrase. Interdependence is a beautiful gift. I, um, I, there was a, a man in our community growing up who, who worked with stained glass. He's since passed away. But the work that he did, he did Tiffany lamps and mosaics. And, and I just was so impressed with what he could do with his hands. I love to work with wood, but he would take these diverse colors and he would, through the hands of a skilled artisan, he was able to make something that was beautiful with it. Do you understand that that's how God approaches the body of Christ? It literally says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So, so we might look at the gifts of other people and say, I, I wanted that gift. Why do they have that talent? I wish I could experience that. And he says back to us, I am the one who's building this body. I am building this mosaic. I am the gifted artist. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Stop questioning his ability to get it right. Stop questioning his provision for you. He's given you so much more than what you need. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? In other words, it would be unified. If we were all noses, all hearts, all lungs, all toes, we would miss out on the provision of the, of the different parts that God has designed for us. In fact, we recognize that there's some that are more featured parts. They're more prominent. In fact, if I asked you today, what's your best feature? Some of you are like, you know what? I have a really good nose. Some of you would say, you know, I'm not talking about me. Don't worry. Uh, some of you really like your ears or you like your forehead. Um, you like your toes. Um, one of my family members is very proud of their feet, but not their hands. It's kind of funny, isn't it? So um, you, you could say, what is your part that you love more than others? Uh, and even if you had that times 20, it would be weird, right? So it says, verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye is incapable, it cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul's talking about the church here. He's talking about a person's ability to prejudge and to say if someone's contribution for the kingdom is valuable or not. And for some of us, we self-value that contribution. And we actually say, if I can't contribute in the same way as that person, then I'm not going to participate at all. And Paul's saying that that's wrong. He's saying that that's short-sighted. That's misunderstanding the gifting of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, think bathing suit kind of covered stuff, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That last verse is incredible. Uh, I want to read it again because it's so helpful for me. Verse 25, that there may be no division, no dissonance, no, no, um, no inconsistencies, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You guys remember in Romans 12, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who we were told by the Lord Jesus Christ to care for other people's needs as, as in the same way that we care for our own needs. And so here he gives us a hint as to how we experience fellowship. And I would say this to you, that God's designed us to be people who experience burden-bearing fellowship. That means we give and we receive. And for some of us, the receiving part is the harder part. But here in verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Let me just comment on this briefly. I don't always know if you're suffering. The, the body of Christ doesn't always know when people, because we can put on a pretty good mask. We can cover our pain up or we can just choose not to show up, right? Like so, some, some, you know, over this last year, there've been times when people have come in and they've said, this tragedy happened in our family and and the, the heartbreaker for us is that we weren't around enough to notice or to see or to, to, to be able to put it together. And so here, when one member suffers, we all suffer together. Some of that means that we allow people to enter into our suffering. I admit that's hard for me. I don't like asking other people for help. I, I, like I said last week, I like to be the person doing the lifting, not the person being lifted. But part of the reality is that we... Um, we suffer together, and then also we're honored together. And it's appropriate at times for us to stand back and say, praise the Lord for that victory, that story. We do this on Wednesday night when we pray together. We honor the Lord answering prayers, the God's, God's mighty work in our lives. So if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member's honored, we all rejoice together. And now he gets to that word that I told you about in my Greek lesson earlier today. He says, now you, or um, y'all, right? You guys were paying attention earlier. Second person, plural, emphatic. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's saying, now you are the body of Christ. Now you all are the body of Christ. If you're a believer, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have God at work in your life. You have a a future and a vision that God's working to bring himself glory and honor. This is what God has chosen to do. Verse 28, and God has appointed, in my words, he's designed, he's been the artist, he's been the general contractor, he's at work in the church. 
And then he's going to share with us some gifting. Before, before we dive into these gifts, I want to just remind you. Now, we've got a different set of gifts that we saw last week. Last week, we saw some really amazing gifts, supernatural gifts, the, that God has used the Holy Spirit. And he continues to use the Holy Spirit to bring glory and honor um, on his own benefit. I want to ask you to, to think about spiritual gifts today in kind of three different ways. So some have asked the question, like, how do I identify what my gifting is? And I want to encourage you. The first way I want to encourage you is that there may be some things in your life that you have just found are easier or harder for you than it is for other people. And the harder part has been helpful for me because there's some spiritual gifts that I absolutely do not have. They, they're not a part of my life. But when I watch my wife experience some of the, the things that she experienced, she has them supernaturally. God's given them to her. And so, so in our family, in our family dynamic, I'm celebrating the fact that God's given them. Some of my children have different gifts than what I have. Praise the Lord for that. I celebrate that. You in this room. So it's okay to be able to say, yeah, that's not me. Um, when we go through this list, it's also appropriate for you to say there's some things in your life that you just might enjoy more. That I, I love the Westminster's sh shorter catechism that says the chief end of man is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. Or that statement that, that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That there are just some things, the second way of identifying spiritual gifts is just what do you enjoy what, what brings you joy? We're going to add to our list, like one of these gifts is the gift of helping or caring for the needs of other people. Some people, that's the thing that brings them the most joy. We're going to talk about administration. You're like, what? That's a gift? Hey, have you ever been in a place where no one in the room had the gift of administration? And you know, like no one knows what's going on, right? Like that, 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 um, that missions trip, I had some wonderfully gifted administrators. And so when we got on that ladder, we had paintbrushes in our hands. Uh, we, had, we had the things that we needed in order to do the work that we needed to do. And, and so often it was behind the scenes, somebody else putting the ball on the tee for someone else to hit it. But for some of you, that's your gifting. And you've been ashamed of that. Or you've said, is the church the place for me to use it? And the answer is yes. That there's actually a place for you to use this. So, so what is your natural gifting? Or what's easier for you or harder for you to eliminate some things? What, what brings you joy? What is just something that gives you delight? And, and then another mirror for us is the people who are around us. Like, what do they say to you about your gifting? I've had times when I thought that I may have had a spiritual gift and people around me clarified that I do not have that gift, you know? There have been other times when I've had people who've, I think God ordained spiritually, pursued me and just said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I value this in you. This is important. This is valuable. So, so to have people who surround you that are able to speak truth and love into your life. So, so as we talk about these gifts, first he talks about three that are really significant. The first, he talks about God appointing or establishing in his church the apostles. And he gives this some prominence. And I think the, the, the man who wrote this was an apostle. I think he was a part of establishing the early church, that God was uniquely using him as a missionary, an ambassador, a trailblazer, a church planter. And I think that this apostello, what it literally means in Greek is to send out. And I think that we, we still have people that are part of being sent. And the, the um, history of our church, as we go back, we recognize there was a group of people who said, we need to start a church in Brunswick. It's time for us to do this. And I think God was 
glorified in the process. The second list is prophets. I, I like the way that John Calvin uh, talks about prophecy. We talked about it last week as a spiritual gift, and I believe that God's at work. But John Calvin um, gives some clarity for me in this. He says, I'm certain in my own mind that Paul, what Paul means by prophets here is not those necessarily endowed with the gift of foretelling, but those who are blessed with the unique gift of dealing with Scripture, not only by interpreting it, but also by the wisdom they showed in making it meet the needs of the hour. The timely understanding of, of the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us, sometimes it's, it's a, a fresh understanding of that truth, but it's applied perfectly in our situation. I love that. The third is teachers. I love the way that Ironside describes the gift of teachers. He says, God has not given teachers to the church in order that they may replace God's word and save his people the trouble of studying the word for themselves. This isn't their job is to pre-digest the truth of God's word for you, but that they may spur the people of God on to more intensive searching of the scriptures. They, they're supposed to help you to want more, Right? The, to be a self-feeder of God's word. I think that's a part of my job, is to leave you like that. Remember when they used to do samples at Costco in the old days, right? To, to leave you wanting more, right? I think that's a part of what teaching means. It goes on to talk about then miracles. We talked about them last week and, and things that, that could happen only if God were in it, that God were working gifts of healing, we still believe God heals, praise the Lord, right? God continues to heal. Um, do it again, Lord. Keep doing it, please. Um, I love this next one. You might look at this list. You might, helping? What do you mean, helping? That's somebody's gift? Absolutely, it's somebody's gift. I, I have found that when I'm around people who have the gift of helping, that the productivity of everyone in the room increases. The, the heart for people who often get neglected or abandoned gets forgotten. I, we've mentioned here in a church setting that there's so many things that happen behind the scenes, that there are people who are willing to put the ball in the tee for other people to hit it off of. And, and, and what I love about what he said earlier is that when, when, when God is glorified in that process, when they do that as unto the Lord, it increases all of our ability to experience his honor and his work. Do you guys understand that? Administration, um, I, I think that the, what's the phrase, the devil's in the details, right? Uh, we're so grateful that there are people who are spiritually gifted to pay attention to the details. And then he talks about in various kinds of tongues. We talked about that last week. We'll talk about it again next week. And then he asks these rhetorical questions that have a very obvious no answer to them. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess, possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with the language of tongues? Are, with tongues, do all interpret? Uh, and then in verse 31, he's at the beginning of verse 31, he's going to say, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I want to invite you back next week. We're going to talk about the next portion of that is he's going to describe a wonderful sentence, the, the better way to live, the, the, the most excellent way to live. And it's going to unpack this passage of scripture that we're familiar with, but it's going to remind us that without love, all of our understanding of gifting falls short. So I want to I want to challenge you. Um, I think that it's appropriate for you to stand back and to do a, a self assessment in your life. What are the things that are a part of your life? You look at this list, and I'll remind you that Scripture is has multiple lists of spiritual giftings. And I think the reason why He does that is not 
um, to confuse us, but I think it's to remind us that the focus isn't on the gifts, but it's on the giver of the gifts. Do you guys agree? That the emphasis is on the fact that he's given you something that he wants you to re-gift to benefit others. So what's easier or harder for you? What brings you joy? What have others affirmed in your life? And I, and I just want to celebrate. I want to celebrate the title of this sermon um, this morning, that there is joy that comes from interdependence. Uh, I, I think of the what um, Frank Sinatra, the old blue eyes, like that his, he, he sings the song, I did it my way, right? You guys have heard that. I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you that this morning. That, but, but that mindset is ingrained in parts of our society, independence. I do my own thing. I don't need any. This, this, is, this is the motivation of every guy who's ever got, had a mattress on the top of his car. Then he put his hand out the window. And he's like, I got this, you know, right? Some of you have done that. Some of you did that like yesterday. I'm, I'm embarrassed for you, right? You know, like we, we, we just have that mindset, right? I don't need anyone else. I just want, I want you to know that biblically that's wrong, actually. Um, we need you to need us, and if the bits and pieces of our body are taken out, that it puts us all on unstable ground. And so, so the challenge this morning is to just remind us that this is his work. He's the, he's the master artist. He's at work. Some of you have listened to a lie, and that lie is what I have to give is insufficient or inadequate or it's not like what other people have. And I'll just warn you, that's a lie. That's, a, that's not true. I think also for some of you in the room, you have looked at other times in your history and you said, well, I already did my dues. I, I've already paid my, my dues. I've, I've already crossed. Like, like, I don't see that in the Apostle Paul when he says that I am wanting to finish well. I want to cross the finish line. I want to be all in. I want to sprint to the finish. And I just want to challenge you. We need that right now as a church family. If we're going to fulfill the mission that God's given us, we need to be sprint to the end kind of people, not I'll just leave it for the others to take care of it. And, and so for some of you, your neglected gift is something that we're missing out on. I, I had one recently, a person who I love here at the church, and they were talking about young adults at Hope Church. And I, I want to, where's the young adults? I want to connect. I had somebody asking about young couples and where are young couples? And I, and I think that for some of us, we're looking around and we're going like, where are the people who are like me? And I don't want to discourage that. I want to harness that to say, what are we doing to develop an, a culture and an environment where that can thrive here? And maybe God's asking you to be a part of that right now. Maybe that's what God's asking of us is to not just look around and to see what is or isn't here. Um, but what is going to happen next in order to allow us to experience the fullness of what God's doing? Do you understand the difference between that? And do you understand God's gifting for us isn't for our benefit or for our glory, but it's because he wants to do something to bring himself glory and honor. Sorry, I put the church upside down. Uh, but the, the idea behind that is to remind us that we want to be people who get this church thing right. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you for the gifting that's in this room. I Just when I look around this room, I just see amazingly gifted people. I see a diversity in this room that brings me joy and encouragement. Would you do it again? Would you do it more? Would you draw your complexity um, to our church family in such a way that we find ourselves in awe of the way that you bring us together, even in our differences? 
I pray, God, for, for this community that's around us, that you've placed us here on purpose and for a purpose to bring yourself glory and honor. I pray that we would be people who don't attempt to abdicate the things that you've asked of us, the gifts that you've instilled in us, the calling that you've placed in our life, that we would not neglect those things, but we would be eager to participate in what you're doing to bring yourself glory and honor. We love you. We thank you for this morning. We need you today in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.